to the 100 Entrepreneurs Podcast, created to provide veterans and their family members with information, ideas, and inspiration for starting new businesses. This is Amanda Weathersby for 100 Entrepreneurs Foundation. We talk with entrepreneurs and small business experts to learn more about their industries and their lessons learned in creating and growing new businesses. Thank you for joining us. Today I'm interviewing John Lee Dumas, an Army veteran who has built one of the first and most successful business podcasts, Entrepreneurs on Fire, with well over a thousand podcasts and millions of downloads all over the world. John has since written a book called Podcast Launch, which is available on Amazon, and expanded his online business to include webinars, a mastermind business, and more. Hi, John. Thank you so much for joining me today. Amanda, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Let's ignite. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) All right, well, first, um, please tell us about your background before you became an entrepreneur. Give us that lowdown. Well, I'm just a country boy from the state of Maine. I spent the first 18 years in my life, of my life, um, in a very small town in the southern regions of Maine. Went to college on an Army ROTC scholarship and graduated in 2002 um, and was commissioned as a second lieutenant and we were the first class of commissioned officers post 9-11 so we knew that our service was going to be real deal stuff and sure enough less than a year later I was in Iraq for a 13-month tour of duty Um, very intense for a 23 year old for sure Um, and then after my four years of active duty service were complete I kind of moved into the civilian world as a reservist and tried a bunch of different things over the next six years. I tried commercial real estate, corporate finance, law school, and I just failed at every one of those ventures. Some quickly, some slowly, but they were all failures over six years. And yeah. finally, like I was just searching for content that I could get inspired by to maybe give me an aha moment of a direction that I can move into. So I was listening to audiobooks, and that led me to podcasts. And my aha moment actually came not from an actual podcast, but of just the entire medium itself. I really understood the power of that targeted, on-demand, free content that podcasting was. I kind of saw this bubble that was starting to form in a good way, and I was like, I want to be part of this ride. And, you know, I personally knew from experience that I wanted a seven day a week podcast that I could listen to because I was driving to work every day. I was hitting the gym on the weekends and there just wasn't a podcast out there that was interviewing successful entrepreneurs talking about their journey on any kind of a consistency or high quantity basis. Like I wanted a show every day. So I searched for the show. It didn't exist. And I decided to be that change that I wanted to see in the world to quote Gandhi and EO Fire was launched uh, back in September of 2012. So we've just recently celebrated our third year anniversary. We've done well over a thousand episodes to date. And we get currently over a million unique listens per month. And it's been an incredibly fun journey. Wow. Over a million a month. That's extraordinary. In how many years? Three years. Three years. Wow. So is it... What is it? Is it your podcast? Is it the industry? Is it the growth in entrepreneurship? What, what, how in the world can you grow in three years from zero to a million a month? 
So I honestly think it's a combination of all three. I mean, there was a lot of factors that are going into it. The entrepreneurship played a huge role. Just the incredible growth of podcasting plays a huge role as well. There's so many factors that really have played into this. And, you know, timing was there. And I love the quote that luck is when effort meets opportunity. And I was definitely putting in the effort and the opportunity did arise. And I definitely did get lucky. There's just no ands, ifs, or buts about that. So it was a really fun journey with a lot of factors that were working in my favor. And, you know, I've seen a lot of podcasters start both before and after me have incredible success as well. So it's just been really fun and cool to see. That's wonderful. Now, as I recall, you you were interviewing every day in the very beginning. Uh, Can you tell us about the, the beginning a little bit and how you did, how you set up your business? Yeah, and I still interview every single day. Um, I've done now over 1,100 consecutive episodes of EO Fire, and it really goes back to my military training and my military background. I mean, I was first an armor officer, and then I moved into logistics. And through logistics, you know, I really realized the power of batching. You know, we just didn't do one thing one time and then one thing another time. We, actually, we absolutely said, hey, how can we batch everything together get everything done at the same time under a same very efficient system. So for me, you know, when I went to the the podcast gurus in the world and I hired them to be my mentor and I ran by my idea, you know, they said, John, there's a reason why people don't do a seven day a week show. It just can't be done. There's just not enough entrepreneurs out there. Um, There's not enough time in the week to do a seven day a week show. Like just just stick to once a week like everybody else. Well, I sat down. I came up with a plan and I said, hey, I know that if I can be that person that figures out a way to do a seven day a week show, then there's a huge opportunity because people don't see the people don't see it as a possibility. And if I can actually make that a reality, there is the opportunity. So I came up with the plan of doing eight interviews just one day a week. So not only do I do a seven day a week podcast now every single week, but I do it one day a week. I batch my interviews back to back on the hour, every hour for eight straight hours. And it is a long day, Amanda, I'm not going to lie, but the reality is I'm having eight conversations with eight amazing entrepreneurs um, in the comfort of my own living room. And, you know, life could be worse. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And you're doing the impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Now, did you say eight a day? So that's really... More than one, one per day. You just really you wanted to show the work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you do you uh, launch them uh, one per day, or do you just set them all up in eight, eight in a day? Every single morning, a new episode of EO Fire goes live. Gotcha, gotcha. Great, that's fantastic. And you take vacation? Absolutely. I just got back from a nice seven day cruise in Bermuda. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, so you started very early with the batch uh, mentality and, and organizing eight per day. Uh, tell us about the business then. Were you, uh, were you funded at all? How did you manage to create a business and spend all of your time working on it? You know, how did it work? So I was 32 years old, and the reality is I had spent the last 10 years of my life post-college working and being very frugal and and really making sure that every penny counted. 
Um, you know, as an officer in the U.S. Army, you get paid decently. And then specifically when you're deployed, um, you know, all that money is going into the bank and you're getting hazardous duty pay. You're not paying taxes. All, all these good things are working for you. Um, so I had about $100,000 saved up by the time I was 32 years old, um, wow. which was a really nice nest egg. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I had no college debt because I went to, um, to school on an Army ROTC scholarship. Um, so I had 30, I had about 100, uh, at 32, I had about $100,000 as a nest egg, which, you know, sounds like a lot and it is great, you know, if you continue to move forward and generate revenue and have a paycheck and add to that, you're off to a great start. But there still is a risk even at that point of saying, okay, I'm going to stop making any money. Obviously, my expenses aren't going to stop, but I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to build a business. So it still was a little scary to launch knowing that there's going to be a significant amount of time while I learned how to podcast, while I did everything that had to be done logistically to get the podcast working, to me launching, and then to me actually building an audience, and then to me figuring out how to monetize, I knew there was going to be a long gap in there. Um, and there was. There was nine months from the moment I decided to launch a podcast until I actually started generating any kind of revenue um, that offset my expenses. So my first kind wow. of month in the green, so to speak, was nine months after I started the journey. So it was not overnight. Um, but, you know, I, I kept it frugal. You know, I kept my expenses as low as possible. I bootstrapped. I had no funding. Um, and that's why, you know, to, to date, when EO Fire is generating over $300,000 a month, you know, that's all, you know, going to me. Like, that is not going to investors or venture capitalists. So if you can bootstrap, it's definitely the way to go. I mean, you want control of your business, especially in the early days if you need to shift, if you need to pivot. You don't want to be beholden to anybody else's ideas or visions. This is your business, your passion. So if it's possible, bootstrapping is always the way to go. Great. That's great. And I would agree with that. Absolutely. So when you uh, started and you had nine months of no income, no revenue, uh, but then you did. What happened? What changed? It's a podcast that people download for free. Yeah. I mean, I just got to that tipping point of my audience size. And I kind of love to use the, uh, the acronym FVC, which stands for Free, Valuable, and Consistent. So that's what I was doing. I was just delivering a free, valuable, and consistent podcast. And I was so focused on doing those three things. And what that resulted in was an audience that was growing, which I lovingly refer to as Fire Nation. And so that audience grew um, over the months until I finally kind of got to this tipping point where my audience was now large enough where I could go to them and say, hey, what are you guys struggling with? I'd love to know. I'd listen. They'd share their pain points, their obstacles, their challenges. And then I would in turn create the solution for that. And that's what's allowed me to create what's now turned into amazing and engaging and thriving communities. You know, number one is Podcasters Paradise. People say, John, how do I create, grow, and monetize my own podcast? So I launched that community um, that does just that. It teaches people how to create, grow, and monetize their own podcast with over 200 step-by-step -step video tutorials, um, a, a private Facebook group. We have monthly trainings and live um, hangouts. And it's just a blast across the board. There's over 2,600 members within Podcasters Paradise. And that idea, which, by the way, came from me asking my audience what their problems were, um, 
has now generated over $3.2 million to date, and it hasn't even turned two years old yet. So that's a great example of building an audience, asking them the problems, the questions. And we did the exact same thing with Webinar on Fire. Uh, people were asking me how I was doing so many webinars so efficiently and converting so many people into Podcasters Paradise on these podcast webinars. And so I launched a course to teach people how to do just that. And that has been an amazing success as well. We've brought over 450 people into that course to date. More people are joining all the time. And we teach people how to create and present their own webinars that convert. And again, that all just came from me building an audience and then asking that audience, what are you struggling with? Creating the solution and then offering to them in the form of a product, service, or community. So now there's also on your website, there's something about a mastermind group. Can you describe that? Yeah, so what's great about creating a podcast is that it gives you authority and credibility in the specific niche that you're in. And so for me, that's entrepreneurship. And people are looking at me and saying, John, hey, you've interviewed now you know, over 100, over 200, and, and you know, now over 1,000 inspiring and successful entrepreneurs. Like You've obviously learned a lot. We want more access to you. We want more access to other listeners of EO Fire. Like We would love to be part of a mastermind community. So we created a membership mastermind called Fire Nation Elite, and that's for my listeners, Fire Nation, but those that are elite that really kind of want to take that next step and be part of an incredible mastermind. And so we, you know, cap it at 100 people because we want to keep it small and intimate and really, you know, family-oriented, and we just have a blast. You know, it's a private Facebook group. We actually do annual meetups. Um, actually, later today, I'm on a coaching call for an hour um, with um, somebody within Fire Nation Elite who are putting on the hut seat, and we're going to kind of take them through their business and, and you know, t- talk about what they have going on, et cetera, and, and how they can improve it. So it's really, really a great community, and it's something that people should really be thinking about doing when they're growing their audience, whether it be via a podcast or a medium of their choice. Now, how do you forecast your sales? Do you forecast sales? No, we don't. We just uh, do what we can to grow our audience and serve them, and the sales come as they do. Okay, great. And do you have staff, employees? Yes, so we actually have seven full-time virtual assistants. You know, that's 40 hours a week. Um, We have seven. um, They're kind of spread out all over the globe. A majority of them are based out of the Philippines. Um, My actual personal assistant is based out of Pakistan, um, and, you know, we've been kind of growing slowly. Like when I launched, I launched with one virtual assistant. And since um, then, which is, you know, three years ago, we've added one or two VAs every now and then. And now we're up to seven full time. Wow. That's amazing. How do you recruit and select them? Uh, there's a great service by my friend Chris Ducker called the Virtual Staff Finder, where you kind of you go to that website and you fill out exactly what you're looking for, for through an application as far as social media or website design or whatever it might be. You just fill out what you are looking for for a VA. They go out into the marketplace, and like actually mm-hmm. locally, because they're, they're based in the Philippines, and they will find three qualified candidates that they're validating. You know, they're seeing that these are the actual people. They have legitimate um, work space. Um, and, you know, they, they actually put them through kind of a series of a few tests to even pre-qualify them before that. So the three that you get are actually really well qualified. You can do video interviews with them and really see in, in how you feel about them as individuals and then hire one, two, or all three of them. 
That's fascinating. It makes it much easier, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to have them vetted. Yes, exactly. Much easier. <laughs> much easier. Have you ever had a problem with any of the hires? Nope, not to date. We've been very fortunate. But again, I really do kind of point to number one, virtual staff finder just bringing us three incredible people. And number two, you know, our vetting those three down into one. Or actually, even on the last round, we actually hired two of the three people they brought to us. Well, great. All right, so John, you have uh, built up this business. Clearly, it's profitable. Is that correct? It is profitable. That's great. And uh, what are the most difficult parts of building this business and managing it? I would say avoiding the bright, shiny objects that are out there. People that are in the military will probably appreciate this phrase that I like to use on EO Fire, which is the weapons of mass distraction, because they're everywhere. I mean, when you've achieved the level of success that EO Fire has, you know, with, um, you know, million, over a million listens per month, with, you know, a, a massive audience, with, you know, tons of revenue coming in the door every single day, you get a lot of opportunities coming to you. And a lot of them seem really, really appealing. And you really have to just focus on, number one, what's working for your business right now, like not lose sight of that. And number two, if you are going to take on some extra and added bandwidth, it really has to align with your core principles, with your core focus, with your core values. Otherwise, you're just going to be piling things onto a ship that eventually is just going to sink because it just can't hold anymore. I mean, you know, myself and Kate and even my team, no matter how big I make it, we can only do so much really well. And you don't want to just add things on that you're kind of be good at. Like you want to keep that quality that you put out there in the world. So a lot of opportunities are coming my way all the time. I mean, I just got you know, a very interesting offer to, to be a, a host on a Shark Tank-like show that's launching up in Hollywood, you know, in a, in a few months, and they wanted me to go and, and read for that show. And I said, hey, like, honestly, even if I got offered the job out of hand, that's not what I want to do. Like, I don't want to be beholden to Hollywood and to a TV show and to have to go up and do X, Y, Z. Like, that's just not how I want to live my life. That's not how I want to run my business. And so I do love a, a quote by Derek Sivers that's, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. It's a no. And frankly, I mean, like Amanda, like you asking me to be on the show would have absolutely been a no if it hadn't been with your connection to the military and the fact that we've met. I mean, you know, there really has to be um, great reasons for me to spend my time doing something like this or doing, you know, any of the other things that I have because I have such limited bandwidth, as we all do, um, but the reality is for me, I'm getting these type of offers and opportunities and asks every single day. And it would be all mm-hmm. that I would do. So when you first are starting, and, and when I first started, like I said yes to everything. You've got to get that momentum going. You've got to put in the dues. You've got to make it happen. But then as you start to kind of you know, grow more and actually have an understanding of what works in your business, you have to focus on that 20 of that 80-20. That's interesting. So, so that's a great point, focusing and uh, knowing what your values are. Uh, and have you in the past gone ahead and, and said yes to things that were definitely not within the scope of your focus or your values? Absolutely. And I learned from every single one of them. And I'm sure I'll do the same in the future. But uh, 
you know, I continue to really make sure that I'm doing the vetting to the best of my ability before any yes is leaving my mouth. Mm-hmm. All right, now, that's an interesting question. You have a uh, very full-time job. <laughs> I think you have some seven virtual assistants. I think you might have a business partner. Is that correct? I do, yes. Life and business partner, Kate Erickson. Oh, wonderful. Good. Congratulations. Your life seems to be uh, set up so that you are where you want to be. I remember at one point you wanted to get out on the water on a regular basis and that that was one of the things that was driving you is to have that opportunity and whether and now apparently it's in Bermuda <laughs> so, <laughs> so um so that that balance is part of what you're protecting absolutely absolutely it's a balance that's huge you know I really believe that you need to have balance in life and for me you know I'm the first to admit that I lost the business in late 2012 and 2013 and 2014 were just nose to the grindstone. You know, I really focused on the business. It was my number one priority. And my health did suffer. You know, and my wellness did suffer because of that. So in 2015, I made it an absolute focus of mine to bring health and wellness to my number one priority. And that business was going to be a massive priority, but it was going to be number two. So I've really upped my nutrition game. I've really upped my fitness game. I've really just upped my balance game overall. And, you know, I'm sure the business, you know, would have generated more revenue had I just stuck to my 2013 and 2014 kind of work ethic and just work um, structure. But it wouldn't, you know, have brought me the happiness. It wouldn't have brought me the fulfillment. And honestly, it wouldn't have brought me what I am, you know, foreseeing as, as, as a long and healthy life. And I mean, what is... You know, what are we doing if we're not setting ourselves up to live a long and healthy life? There you go. That's a wonderful comment. Yes. So you're in it for the long run, in this business, for the long run. Is that correct? Yes. You, you're not thinking about starting a whole new business somewhere else? Well, you know, I mean, by business, like if I'm, well, I'm in it for the long haul. I mean, I'm in the entrepreneurial journey for the long haul. Like, I don't know where that's going to lead me. I mean, that may lead me mm-hmm. to to 5,000 EO Fire episodes. You know, that may lead me in another direction down the road uh, when opportunities arise. I mean, nobody knows where podcasting is going to be, you know, six years from now, let alone six months from now. So I really don't get too stuck in any rut. And I don't Mm -hmm. just kind of say, hey, I'm going to, you know, be on this narrow focus road. My eyes are open. I'm enjoying the, the current path that I'm on. If there arises a time for me to, to shift or to adjust, you know, or to refocus totally, you know, I've been doing a great job building up a massive nest egg that's going to allow me to do so, at, you know, on my own terms, which is so key. Yeah, that's very key. So what are the most rewarding parts of running your business? I'd say the ripple effect. And what I mean by ripple effect is I get emails every single day, which I treasure and I love from people that say, John, I have been so inspired by EO Fire. Like, thank you for the content that you provide. Please keep it up. But those aren't my favorite emails. Like, those are emails that I love, but my favorite ones are from my listeners who say, John, I'm so inspired by EO Fire. In fact, so much that six months ago, I went out and I took action on something I never would have done without your show. And it was in a passion project of mine. And this passion project has exceeded my expectations. And look at this email 
that I got today from somebody who's now been inspired by what I've done and by me. I'm so honored. I'm so touched. Like, this is all because of you. And so now, like, seeing that not only is my show directly touching all of the listeners that I have, but it has that third degree of separation where I'm inspiring people to take action, and those people are inspiring others that I never would have or could have touched or it made any difference on. And that ripple effect is what I love. And that's a great point. Yeah. You, you never know how many people you touch when you think you've met one person, but in fact, you may have touched 10. So true. Yeah. All right. So what are the biggest lessons learned from running your business? Biggest lessons learned. Well, number one by far is my guests have one commonality, and that is they know how to set and accomplish goals. And I look back over my journey and over my business, and I see that what I've learned is that I've become really good at setting and accomplishing goals as well, which is a huge reason for the success of EO Fire, which is actually one reason why this, um, in early January, I started on a passion project. And that passion project is now um, come to life. It's called the Freedom Journal. And this is an actual black leather bound, gorgeous journal with gold edges, bookmark, I mean the whole nine yards. It is a beautiful, beautiful journal that I created and that I had you know, manufactured at, at, to the number of 10,000 actually. Um, and I have created this journal because I know that a lot of people struggle with not being able to set number one, a SMART goal, and number two, how to accomplish that goal. So this journal does just that. Um, It teaches you how to set that SMART goal, which is specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. And that has absolutely been huge uh, for me as someone that's setting uh, a SMART goal and then actually accomplishing it. And then it guides you over the next 100 days on how to accomplish that SMART goal. And it's, a, it's a, again, a, a work of passion. It's a work of just absolute joy because it's been something that I have really been thinking about for a while. And now to see it, to be able to hold it in my hands, and it's a physical product, um, it's just a really cool, different, and new and exciting adventure for me. And it's just been fun. And this January 4th, actually, uh, of 2016, we're launching uh, the Freedom Journal to the world via a Kickstarter campaign where we're going to be really looking to drive awareness to that campaign because I partnered up with Pencils of Promise, uh, which is a great organization from a de- with a dear friend of mine, Adam Braun, um, that builds schools in third world countries. So proceeds from this Kickstarter campaign you know, are going to go to Pencils of Promise, which is so cool, and I'm really excited about that. And what um, I am really focused on and really excited about is the fact that this book will allow people to set and accomplish goals, which again, back to your original question, is really one of the biggest things I've learned through running my business now for over three years. Goal setting is rough. It's a tough experience, especially uh, in the shiny objects problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Um, (laughs) So take us through an example of how you set a goal. So I love the acronym SMART, specific. Your goal has to be specific. You can't just say, you know, oh, I want to lose weight. No, like I want to lose 11 pounds in the next 50 days, whatever that might be. And then measurable. And again, it has to be measurable. You have to give it that actual time parameter, which is 
the 50 days. If you're not putting a time parameter on it, then it's just open-ended. Now, attainable, that's the A for smart. It has to be attainable. You can't just say, you know, if you're 450 pounds, to stay on the weight example, you can't say, you know, I want to lose 200 pounds in the next 10 days. Like, it just can't happen. So the goal also has to be attainable. Then it has to be relevant. Like, you actually have to care about it. It has to mean something to you. Do you actually want to lose the weight? And if yes, then it's a relevant goal. And then timely. Again, you're putting those parameters on it that are so cool so you know exactly when you know, that goal is going to be completed. And if your goal fits all of those requirements, then that's absolutely going to be a SMART goal that you are going to want to attain and that you're going to know if and when you attain. And then, uh, and then you track your activity around the goal over the 100 days so that you can see that you're making progress. Exactly. Great. That's great. Are there any other pieces of advice you would like to give our audience of veterans and family members? I think a great piece of advice um, would be the quote, if you want to be, do. For me, like, I wanted to be a podcaster, so I had to actually podcast. I had no podcasting experience, no broadcasting experience. I had never interviewed people before. I'd never been behind the microphone before. But I knew that I wanted to be a podcaster, and the only way that I was going to achieve that goal was to do that thing. So just say that thing out loud that you want to do. You know, I want to be, you know, a karate black belt. Then you actually have to do karate. You know, you have to go through it. So really, really critical to realize that anything you want to achieve in this world, you can, but you have to first do that thing. It doesn't just come overnight. You know, my first 500 episodes are on a completely different level than my last 500 episodes because I've continued to get better every single time I get on the microphone. Just like you'll get better every single time you do that thing that you want to become. Online businesses are really perfect for some of our audience uh, because working from home is a great way to go. And I wanted to know, what would you say are the five key success factors for an online business? What, what can our audience learn about building an online business? Well, number one, it has to be on a topic that you are passionate about. That's where you need to start. You need to really say, hey, is this a topic that I'm excited about? Because it's a marathon. This is not a sprint. You know, the people that try to become overnight successes, you know, they flounder and they flop. And I experienced that for six years myself in you know, tra- the traditional world, through law school, through corporate finance, through commercial real estate, you need to find a topic that excites you and you have to be in it for the marathon. Number two is you need to know who your avatar is. That's your one perfect listener if you're a podcasting, reader if you have a blog, viewer if it's a video channel, or client or customer. You have to know that one perfect person that is all of those things for you and really define them. Sit down and write 2,000 words about that person. My avatar's name is Jimmy. I could talk to you about him for the next 10 minutes. I know him very intimately because every time I come to a fork in the road, I know what Jimmy would want at this fork in the road and I can just take that fork quickly and effectively and efficiently. Now, Um, do you change? Does Jimmy change over time? Jimmy has never changed. I mean, he's gotten never a little changed. bit older, you know, as because, okay. you know, I started him when he was 32 years old. Now Jimmy's 35 years old. He's just <laughs> aged a little okay. bit, but, but not much else has changed in Jimmy's life. Okay. 
Uh, number three, you need to choose that medium for you. You know, the medium of actual uh, way that you're going to spread your message. It could be that blog. It could be that YouTube channel. It could be a podcast. It could be any number of things. And then number four is, you know, you have to start creating content that's free, valuable, and consistent. Free, you know, it's critical. People don't want to give stuff away, but the reality is you haven't earned the ability to charge anything because you haven't proven yourself yet. So it has to be free until you've proven yourself. And number two, it has to be valuable. It can't just be any content. It's going to be valuable content if you're going to build authority and credibility. And then number three, and this is where everybody gets it wrong, is consistency of that FVC. It has to be consistent. And that's why EO Fire has been so successful is because I've been maintaining consistency for the last 1,100 straights. Very critical. And then finally, number five, you need to ask the audience, your audience, your building by doing one through four, ask them, what are you struggling with? Listen to their pain points and then create the solution. Now, it sounds to me like some of this uh, is directly related to your experience in the U.S. Army. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So being a veteran is is a great experience, previous experience. There are a lot of things that I learned while being an officer in the U.S. Army that I was able to apply very effectively in my online business. Well, John, this has been excellent and so much fun, and I love talking to you. Uh, And I remember that I was episode 207 on your show. Right. Uh, You are episode five. (laughs) So do we ever talk about the fact that you being episode 207 is the area code of Maine? Oh, no. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's kind of an eerie connection. <laughs>